Okay. So here we go. Okay. okay. And here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Welcome to your favorite weekly sleepover, Yesterday's News Podcast. I'm, ooh, yeah. I'm one of your hosts, Hannah. And I am another one of your hosts, Haley. And welcome. And welcome. We're getting right into it. Um, did you watch the fight last night with Jake Paul and yes. Ben Akron? Um, I did not watch it. Uh, I'm old, and I went to bed at like nine o'clock, but then woke up around twelve thirty and looked at Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> and it told me all the answers that I needed to know. Always, Twitter's really good at that. <laughs> I knew that you would be kind of interested because I know one of the hosts was your fave, uh, Pete Davidson. I love Pete Davidson. I really do. He holds a special place in my heart. But like, as that weird young neighbor, you know, like that. <laughs> You always want to keep an eye on because you like him and you're like, I want to make sure you do good. Right. Uh, I saw that Jake Paul won. I think it's all a, how you say. Finessing the purse. Finessing the purse mm-hmm. uh, and or, you know, fake match. Because he knocked him out in like the first few seconds. And that's yes. just, I don't know jack shit about sports in general, but especially about boxing. So I don't know if that's like normal, but that's fucking crazy. I mean, it's not unheard of. It does happen. And it even happens to some of the best. It happened to Conor McGregor not that long ago. Oh, I love Conor. Um, I am weirdly interested in fights. I don't know why. Yeah. When I was doing um, marketing for a sports bar, I had to be very current with sports. And I it fucking sucked. But I could tell you <laughs> in each round and shit of the upcoming fights because I had to know that that really well. But... I don't know. Seeing Jake Paul and, like, knowing how shitty of a human being is, I don't know how much you know about, like, internet celebrities. Which, uh, by the way, I think in the future we're going to record me kind of going doing a rundown of all the new celebrity gossip. I mean, I can't say that I'm, like, any expert, but I know of Jake Paul. I do know. I know that I find him very annoying. I know that he reminds me of, like, because I think I'm the same age as his older brother. I think Logan Paul and I are the same age. With... Logan Paul's my age. Oh, He's 26. Shit. Then how old, how old is Jake 24. Paul? Wow, my age gauge is off, <laughs> man. God damn. They both kind of suck. Yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, and which was funny because they were both kind of like the, the golden boys of YouTube when that was happening. And I think it's just kind of a product of like being so young so with a platform where millions and millions of people are seeing you yeah and then you in turn are making so much money yeah um but their lives are crazy oh for sure kind of mojo thing was crazy like the whole it's all it's all a little wild for sure it's hard to keep up (laughs) (laughs) so you gotta pick like six people and then be like and like follow them around for sure i'll watch you (laughs) (laughs) yeah well Congratulations, I guess, to Jake Paul. Because we're yeah, we're sports knowledge all over the place. Yeah, I honestly get that money. All For it sure. does is, t- I mean, win or lose, they get paid. Yeah. So he just took one hit to the head and then was like, "Clean my hands. I'm walking <laughs> away. Great. I just made millions of dollars. Bye. Bye." <laughs> That's funny. Well, yep. Congratulations. But really, at the end of the day, Pete Davidson was really the the true um, he was winner. The star of the show. He was the star of the show. I woke up this morning and I saw that Ric Flair was 
hosting a slap fight just amongst random people and then pete davidson in the back is just like okay i'm here (laughs) sure that was just that was the greatest picture all right well then we can transition over to Oh, six misclicks. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, this is a miniature version of this overall podcast where I go back and take a look at gossip sites and seeing what they were talking about. And we kind of break it down a little bit just because they're a little bit funny. And I usually pick around the, oh, the early 2000s for these. Um, so this one, Hannah, so is ready. titled Eminem. What a pisser. What do you think this is about? Okay, so if it's early 2000s, I mean, this is when he's hitting it with all of the... For sure. I think he's bleach blonde. Yeah. This oh, sorry. This, so this is 2008. So if that gives you okay, a little bit of a... 2008. I feel like this is... I feel like this is um around the time that he did 8 Mile. Sure. And so maybe that... Pisser is an English term. It's like... Like an England from England. Mm-hmm. So, um, is this about Elton John and him and Elton John not getting along? No. Damn. This okay. is uh, a literally a story about piss. Oh. <laughs> so Eminem beat the piss out of a strip club joint patron. Literally. Oh. Well, according to a new lawsuit, Marid Darbu, which I believe that is the spelling or the pronunciation, uh, claims he was minding his own business at a Michigan strip club when he realized he had a pee. He went to the men's room, unzipped his pants, and went to the urinal. Suddenly, Slim Shady entered and began to whiz at a neighboring urinal. Slim's bodyguard was standing by when one of Jarboo's friends walked in, recognized M, and allegedly said, Hey, Eminem, what's up, man? According to this, the lawsuit, the bodyguard responded, Shut the fuck up, man. Don't say another word. Jarboo claims that he said, Hey, man, my friend ain't started trouble. It's just cool to see Eminem. The suit claims Eminem stepped back at the urinal and without warning or uh, without warning, as Jarbu continued to urinate, dove his fist violently punching into the side of his face, knocking him to the ground. The incident allegedly occurred two years ago. Jarbu is mm. suing for unspecific damages. I mean, don't punch people is my first thought on that. <laughs> but my second thought I just is think like, it's hilarious. Well, I think it's crazy. Like, what sucks is, you know, urinals, a urin- if you're a celebrity or not, and you're in a public place, you're going to go to a urinal. I wonder how many times celebrities are stopped at the urinal just peeing because they're stuck there. Like, they're peeing. Yeah. And then someone's just like, oh, my God, I saw you in that thing. Can I take a picture? (laughs) Could you imagine? I'd be like, fuck off. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And especially if someone's, like, trying to talk to you with, like, your dick in your hand. I don't know. I'm a woman. I don't have a dick. But I would be like, dude, fucking shut up. (laughs) Like, I am exposed right now also that must be so awkward to have your bodyguard just like standing behind you while you're peeing just constantly i don't know first thought was like the visual of like (laughs) this big guy this big yeah security guard just standing by you as you pee (laughs) like this is my job i get paid to do this probably some good money too oh yeah if he's on urinal duty and also, just like I mean, on brand Michigan Strip Club for Eminem. I mean, sure. Eight Mile, Detroit. So there's that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like he would be, would be touting around in there. I never um, heard that though, so I wonder if anything came of that. Oh, let's. You don't want to look it up? Hold on. Yeah. Oh, he he uh, was seeking twenty five thousand damages. 
Wow. So I almost kind of think like he might have just got paid and they're just like, all right. Yeah. So if he's only asking for 25000 it doesn't say anyone followed up, but I feel like this was handled outside of court. Yeah. Just like, all right, whatever. Here you go. Yeah. Oh, the strip club <laughs> is located on Eight Mile Road, the oh. border between Detroit and Southern Suburbs, made famous by Eminem's hit 2002 film Eight Mile. That's funny. Mm. So you're right. Love me some Eight Mile. That had Brittany Murphy in it. You know, Lincoln. All Always the linking them back. <laughs> Always, constantly. <laughs> um, well, I guess we can just uh, jump into it. But before I want to start doing this disclaimer again, um, mm-hmm. just that we are products of tabloids. We love doing this podcast because we grew up l- loving celebrity gossip, but we mm-hmm. grew up with a mother that was very obsessed with tabloids. Um, and I want to put out there that not to take everything that we're saying at 100%. We are talking about gossip. So obviously, if you hear something, please always, always do your own research. Never, ever just take one resource. That's what I've always preached on this podcast. Always do your own research. If something sounds a little bit funky to you, please go out and look for it. We are obviously going off of word slash celebrity gossip sites so it's not 100 percent accurate all the time yeah. but with that being said yeah i can go first okay go for it all right this week i'm doing the story of jack nicholson uh being raised by his grandmother who he always thought was his real mother when in fact his real mother was his sister what i've never heard of this story before <laughs> i recently was going down some youtube um wormholes or mm-hmm. whatever and uh, do you ever watch, like, Nikki Swift? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, Nikki Swift did this story about Jack Nicholson, just, like, stuff about Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. And that one of the sto- this was one of the stories. Um, so I thought this was crazy, and I kind of did a little in-depth dive. So I got most of this, and this is basically a retelling of this amazing article um, in InStyle by Trey Taylor uh, called Jack Nicholson Grew Up Believing His Mom Was His Sister. So I guess that's how I should have said it at the beginning. Um, So in 1936, his mother, June Nicholson, became pregnant with her boyfriend, Don, who was actually married to another woman at the time. He was older. She was only 17 when she became pregnant. And his, her mother, so his grandmother, Ethel May, actually threatened Don with the Man Act. Um, It's a law that it was interpreted. Um, intended to curb the trafficking and prostitution of minors, uh, but what was often used to criminalize even consensual acts. So she was using it um, kind of like statutory rape. She was going to be like, this is statutory rape. She's a child. She's pregnant now. What are you going to do? And she ordered him to stay away. This was going to be a huge uh, drama in their town. So they decided to have June have the baby, and she had the baby in private, and they decided to raise Jack as Ethel Mays, and June would be his sister. So Jack Nicholson was born in 1937 in Neptune, New Jersey. June was only 18 at the time of Jack's birth. Um, She aspired to be a star. So living in New Jersey, she uh, was very close to New York. She was like, I want to be a showgirl, and... She ended up going to New York for a little bit, becoming a showgirl. Um, so June was only 18 at the time of Jack's birth. Um, she had aspired to be a star. 
uh, living from New Jersey. She was very close to New York, dreamed of being a club performer. Um, so, and then, of, of course, to avoid the shame of wedlock, Ethel May raised Jack as her own. June was much older. She was 18 when the baby was born, so she he always just knew her as much older sister. No one batted an eye. No one really thought much of it. They thought that was great. He grew up not really knowing a father. Um, Ethel May wasn't married at the time, so he was just raised by women. Um, he was also raised by Ethel May's sister, Lorraine, who acted much like a father figure, doing fishing, outdoor activities, <laughs> like really took on the manly role, but he was raised by all women. Oh, wow. Um, June moved out when Jack was four. Uh, she went to Miami to become an er- Earl Carroll showgirl. Um, I think that was kind of like a Vegas showgirl. I think that was a club down there. Um, their relationship was always kind of weird because she obviously knew that, that that he was her son. He had no idea. She kind of distanced herself from him, you know, but also was 18 years older, was still a child. So, you know, she was just trying to do her best. Um, their relationship became even more bizarre when Jack decided to pursue a career in Hollywood. Um, he headed to Los Angeles when he was 17 uh, to join June. She had relocated to Los Angeles. So he was like, great, I'll stay with you. Um, he said, quote, since my only relative in the world was June, who was out here, I came to look around. So he was just like, why not? I'll stay with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a job as an office boy in an animated cartoon department at MGM Studios. He was charming. Uh, he was discovered by a producer who recommended he sign up for acting classes. So he had like some charisma that they were like, this guy should be in here. Yeah. Um, in 1974, as Chinatown was about to hit theaters, uh, Time mag- Magazine profile, that was his first. Oh, okay. Wait, how old was he when One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest happened? 37. Well, in Chinatown. So yeah, oh. he would have been 37 when he did that too. He was uh, named the star with the killer smile. Yeah, a literally killer smile on The Shining. But before this Time Magazine profile, he received an alarming phone call um, from the magazine's researchers being like, hey, it says that you didn't know your father and he probably passed away, but someone had told them that his father was alive Mm. and he was living in New Jersey and that, in fact, his mother, Ethel May, was actually his grandmother and his sister... Uh, June was his real mother. The, he had never, ever heard this. Never suspected. Nothing. Wow. No one. This was like one of the best kept secrets. He freaks out. He's visibly shaken. He asks Time Magazine to not publish this. Like, please. Because they reached out to him before. They were going to put it in the story. You know, mm-hmm. they take his articles and then whatever information they find. They do not publish. They Wait, how did they find out about that? Just doing research. So I'd heard a couple times in a couple different ways that actually the wife of his father is called and was like, hey, he's a really great guy. Yeah. Like, I don't want people to think that he's a bad guy and he did all this bad stuff because um, Ethel May basically put the hammer down, was like, mm-hmm. no, you married man, got my young daughter pregnant. Screw you. Get away from us. We're going to just try to do the best we can with what we have. And I think she kind of told him, you know, 
your dad died. End of story. <laughs> and he never really questioned it and just grew up. He has stated that the women that raised him really made him the man that he is mm-hmm. and have never really questioned how he was raised. Right. He felt like he had a very fulfilling life and childhood and then went on to be successful. Because so, he, uh, he doesn't find out until he was like 37 years old. Right. So that he's so wild to me. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. I was like, I heard this in another podcast and where they had just said it in passing. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, because it was some story where the same exact situation happened. And they're like, oh, like Jack Nicholson. Oh, wow. And no one believed them. Oh, <laughs> no way. No. And it, it, it turned out to be true. Um, so he calls up his brother-in-law. Uh, what is happening? He's like, this guy calls me up on the phone, says my father is still alive and that Ethel May isn't my mom. June's my mom. Mm-hmm. He denies it at first. He's like, no, that's cra- that is crazy. Like, right. no, that's not. But um, eventually he's like, I, I don't know what else to say to you. Because he's like, how, then why is this guy telling me this? Mm-hmm. So he hands the phone to Lorraine, who's his aunt, who helped her, um, raise him, confirms it all. She says... She wasn't able to tell him in per- um, tell him if the person in question, like, that they said was his dad, was the real dad. So she tells him it's Don, his real father. Yeah. She cannot confirm that whoever they're saying is still alive and claiming to be his father mm-hmm. is him. Mm. So he's like, oh, shit. Um, er- uh, Ethel May has passed away at this point. And June. So both his mom and his sister have passed away. Wow. He cannot confirm with them. He does not know. How did his sister slash mom die? Uh, she passed away from cancer in 1963. Oh, okay. So very early. Long before. So this is about 10 years before he finds out. Oh, wow. Okay. This is very alarming. It kind of sends him into a tailspin. Um, he was in the middle of filming another movie when this comes out. He is freaking out. He doesn't have anyone to talk to. Like, there's mm-hmm. no one to be like, what? Who is this? And he he never reaches out to mm-hmm. uh, the guy who is supposed to be his father. Because he starts hearing multiple stories. Did it say how they how Don and, and his sister knew each other? Yeah, so they started dating. She had no idea he was married. Uh-huh. Um, oh, he, so they just, like, were dating, dating. It's, so some places have said that she married him. Oh, shit. That he was a showman. Um, she was an aspiring showgirl. Oh. She, so, like, she was just in the life that she, she wanted was. to be. That makes sense. Right. They fall in love. Um, it, it, like, they they say sometimes they get married, and then other times it's like, no, they were. But they were dating, dating. They were in a relationship. They seemed like they did love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, there's some... It's all kind of murky because he doesn't really talk about it much. And, I mean, mm-hmm. this is in the 1970s. This is, I mean, even though he's older, he's grown up, still so scandalous. Mm-hmm. Nothing that he wanted, you know, probably people to think about him while right. he's up and coming, you know, an Oscar winner. Yeah, and plus stuff. he probably couldn't figure it out himself because, like, the two people Could that you, were mostly... Yeah, I mean, that's older than I am. I mean, that's still, like, I have seven years to go, and then finding out that everyone who I thought was who they were isn't. Weren't. Yeah. That and would be devastating. There. 
Yeah, and you can't confront them. You can't be like, what What was the thought process? Why did you <laughs> right. do this? And like, I mean, I think he eventually kind of understands, wow, this would have been detrimental to her to her life, his yes. mom, June's right. life. He had always thought of his aunt was actually his other sister. Those were mm. his two sisters. Sorry, oh, that okay. was confusing before. Doesn't really know what to believe, though about who his father is. I had heard in other tellings of this that his father's now wife called and was like, he's a, he's a good man. He wasn't trying to do anything bad, you know? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like he ever really um, connected with his dad or anything. Kind of was just like, all right, I guess this is what my life is. And he is quoted saying, I was just very impressed by their ability to keep the secret, if nothing else. Wow, cool. Yeah. That's... I thought that was so crazy. I did not know that. No, me neither. And I really did think when someone said that out loud um, that they were lying. And I was like, it has to be a different actor. <laughs> right. There's no way. Oh, 100%. My story this week is about Millie Vanilli, a German-French R&B duo. What do you know about Millie Vanilli, Hannah? I remember they were they were pretty hot I remember they were again, so hot thinking they were very attractive and they were very exotic and then so people were like ooh so they had this great skin tone and like really long hair and they kind of just had these accents that were like ooh very hot they had like very well pronounced jaw lines yes yes it was like <laughs> they like french models like they did, yes the french really came out and then you could see they just looked like they should be smoking like a cigarette on the river oh a hundred percent with the eiffel tower <laughs> <laughs> so for those who don't know millie vanilli was a uh, duo that got into a little bit of a scandal a lip-syncing scandal um mm-hmm. Back in the 80s and early 90s. So the group was founded uh, by Frank Farian. He was a producer. He was, I believe, a German producer. He had his own studio at Frankfurt. Um, And it consisted of Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Please feel free to correct me in the comments down below. (laughs) (laughs) And and they had a really famous, uh, uh, they had a really famous debut album called All or Nothing. Um, mm-hmm. With a single "Girl, You Know It's True," and that was really that was one of the top charting songs in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and it even got them a Grammy for Best New Artist in the 1990s, yeah. or in 1990, I should say. So they sold millions of records back in the day. So Plytus met Forbin um, during a actual dance seminar in a club, which I thought was super funny. Like. They uh, <laughs> they both had a really strong bond about their past. I believe they grew up kind of in neighboring European city. And then they were like, they, something kind of clicked and they became friends and they're like, we should, we should, we both can sing. Let's, let's start a group. They, ad- they adopted the name Millie Vanilli and they recorded an album for a small German label and it sold just a few thousand records, which still I feel was pretty good for back in 1988, 1989. Yeah, because those are physical records. Those yes. Aren't downloads. <laughs> those are people went out and paid money for your physical thing. Right, definitely. Um, so the producer Frank Barian, um, learned about this duo, and he was like, "You, we should record. Come back to my studio in Frankfurt." And they were like, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's 
let's go. And then when they got to the studio, he already had Girl, You Know It's True all queued up. Can you guys sing it? And he's like, yeah, of course. And he's like, okay, great. We can do it. Next week we'll have shows. So don't worry. We will we'll make you guys millionaires, which I thought was very wild. It also just seems like every record producer in the movies is like, I'm going to make you, mil-. you know, you can just see it like all flashy at some like big table. And they're like, oh, we're going to make you millions. Yes, definitely. So they went and they did their best recording the song Girl, You Know It's True. And Farian's like, this doesn't, this doesn't hit. This is, this doesn't, this doesn't have the star quality that I'm looking for. And he, I feel like, uh, it doesn't say, but I feel like he was very much like, these guys look really nice. And I feel like since they are beautiful people, we couldn't, they have like the face for TV because you know, this is 80s, 90s. This is where MTV is like huge. Everyone's seeing their face. And then music kind of comes second. And they were a little different. Like it was something new. Right. It was, no. Yeah, R&B is big. Or it's, I guess it's starting to be 1990. It's starting to be big. Mm-hmm. 80s, it's starting to come out. But um, they just looked interesting. And like it seemed cool. These are European men coming over. And they had like a cool sound. Yeah. So they signed a contract with him already. So they couldn't back out of this contract. Really, Frank Farian was was kind of in control. Mm-hmm. So he it kind of it seemed like against their will, he was like we should get other people to sing this song. So they got Charles Shaw, John Davis, Brad Howell, Jody Rocco and Linda Rocco oh my God, to kind like of have the people. finish. Yeah, six people to make this the song. And I believe that that includes like backup singers and everything, but Okay, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, so they got the album done. They're like, okay, we got the album. Now we got to work on your looks. So Frank Farian took even control of that, getting them like in the spandex shorts and thigh high boots and kind of like this. I believe right, like unisex was like starting to become like oh, yes. bigger in the early nineties. So I think it was like very like feminine uh, looks. Wow, but, like, I never with a put that twist. Yeah, I never put that. To- but you're so right. Yes. Mm-hmm. It- yeah. Definitely. Um, and throughout this process, uh, the the duo was just like, when are we going to, when are we going to have some input? Like, when are, when are we going to, like, have any kind of, like, con- creative control? Mm-hmm. And Frank really just shrugged it off. It gives me, like, Simon Cowell vibes, you know? Like, that yeah. he kind of, where they're like, oh, we're going to sell this idea of you. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, but wait, we're artists. Wait. We have our own... So they did a tell-all interview with the LA Times, and Mm. it was quoted that he said, yeah, yeah, but not right now. Uh, We need to get out and do promotion, and then, of course, afterwards, you guys can do it. Just work with us for a little bit, and then once you're big, then you guys can take over. And he kind of just strung them off along that way. Mm. Um, But... When when the album came out, it was such a big success. He was, uh, Farian was also quoted being like, it was, it's too late to stop now. Pilatus was like, I, I, we have to do it. The single is out. We're already physically showing ourselves like this. Like, it was too late to not have this as our persona. Yeah, I get that too. Like, you've already wrapped up in this. Yeah. They wanted some sort of creative control, but I feel like they were starting to get money and they they were they came from properties. We want to be famous and if this is what we want with, that it takes, I guess we'll do it. So the single's out, not the full album, but the single's out and it reached great heights in the US. But the first kind yeah. of inkling that something might be a little weird was back in the 
1989, Beth McCarty Miller, who was an executive from MTV, who was an executive from MTV, uh, first raised doubts mm-hmm. on the duo if the duo could really uh, sing in English, since in interviews their English was very broken. Oh. They couldn't really talk through a full sentence, but all of their songs were like in full perfect English. And so she kind of, so she kind of chopped it off to subpar interview skills and not necessarily like, oh, maybe other people are writing their songs. And I mean, it was normal at the time for other people to write the songs, you know, they could have gotten the perfect punctuate or perfect like pronunciation from like practicing over and over again. So, but that was like kind of the first doubt that came on. Um, But really the first time that anything really kind of screwed up was uh, they were doing a live show in 1998, or sorry, 1989, um, for MTV in Connecticut, of all places. <laughs> and uh, I think this was, like, kind of when, like, they were still doing, like, the mall circuit, where it was, like, a lot of, like, concerts outside of malls oh, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, that is something kids no, do not No, not at all. These days. <laughs> mall concerts. Um, and as they performed, uh, and something like the computer that was playing their song fucked up. So in the song, girl, you know, it's true. It started skipping on the line, girl, you know, it's girl, you know, it's girl, you know, it's, and it just starts skipping and the duo just kind of look at each other and they're like, fuck, like, fuck, we fucked up. Um, and so I believe Pilatus fucking booked it off stage. He's like, I, that we're ruined everyone knows our secret um yeah and then downtown julie brown do you know who that is uh like a television personality radio dj kind of like a vj of the time but i don't think she worked no yeah she well she had she was the host of a television series on mtv for all those youngins out there that's what is it video jockey like it's like a (laughs) yeah it's like Carson, if you remember Carson Daly. It just, yeah, that's someone that played, like, music, but also music videos. Um, so she she booked it after them, and she's like, what, like, what's happening? Like, you have to go back on stage. And they're arguing with her. They're like, fuck, no, we're not going back on the stage. She's like, you gotta go. And they ended up going back on stage, and the crowd didn't even notice that even happened. They just continued. They either, like, noticed and didn't care, or, like, they continued to go go yeah. along with it, and it was just... I mean, and then also I was thinking about this, too, where it's like, I don't know. I remember growing up, we always liked to pick out who was lip-syncing and who wasn't lip-syncing on, like, shows and stuff, so I think it was, like, an, an ordinary, you know, thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it seemed, especially if it was on, like, on TV, like a TV performance, usually... It was assumed. I don't know if you're going to bring this up later, but like the yeah. Ashley Simpson. Yeah, no, we can talk about that now. Yeah, it's like was, a big. That's like the big one I remember. Which I don't know. Like with the Ashley Simpson thing, like why didn't she just chalk it off with like I wasn't feeling well? I mean, or did she try to do that? Uh, I think she eventually did, but I mean, she was jumping around the stage so much. Like, oh yeah, she was feeling so I awkward. Feel, yeah. I just kind of assumed people lip synced on yeah. things. Yeah live television especially if they're like moving around and shit but i know ashley simpson didn't really do that um got into a little bit of a scandal afterwards where where during a a time magazine interview flightus was like oh we are better than elvis we're the new elvis like we're better than bob dylan paul mccartney mick jagger but that was all chopped up to him not understanding english once again 
Uh, so they were kind of like, they were very much in the limelight and people were already like, what the, like, what is, what the fuck is going on yeah. with these guys? Like, why are they trashing, like, if they're trying to be big in America, why are they trashing, American like, stars. people that are regarded as, yeah, of like the, with the release of All or Nothing, um, it turns out internationally, all of the singers, like, once again, Charles Shaw, John Davis, Brad Howell, they were all quoted as, like, they had their names in the pamphlet that came mm-hmm. with the CD, but in the American version, it only said that their vocals were Morbin and Platus. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it was, like, very much shown to America, like, oh, we are the only singers on this album. Wow. So this, yeah, so this prompted... Charles Shaw, one of the singers, um, one of the real singers, to reveal actually the one who was singing it. He was like, there's three other people that are on this album with me, and I'm one of them, and they don't really sing. And that's, even though that was prompted out in the public, uh, Farian, the producer, paid Shaw $150,000 to redact his statements. That's so much money. I know. And, uh... (laughs) <laughs> and even though, like, he did re- end up redacting his statements, I believe, um, this is according to e- EW, according to the mm-hmm. EW um, Entertainment Weekly. Um, wow. It still, like, didn't really help that the public already, like, saw this statement out there. Wow. It seems like that all could have been avoided if they just would have given the credit. Because I've bought many a CD, many a record, and I've, never, I've not paid too many details to like who the actual vocals were that were listed on there and like Mm -hmm. it almost it probably would have just they probably would have just went on and did what they needed to do but when you had someone coming out and being like i'm the one singing on it and i'm not getting credit like that's gonna get people to be like wait 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 wait, wait, what (laughs) right so this started a whole tidal wave of people asking questions like who if you you guys aren't the singers who's the singers so they were confronted by a los angeles times Mm -hmm. reporter politis was like you know what yeah you're right it's true we didn't we didn't sing on the album yeah and he was quoted in this this article saying, I felt like a mosquito being squeezed. Last two years of our life have been a total nightmare. We've had to lie to everyone. We're true singers, but that maniac, there's calling him a maniac, Frank Farian, would never allow us to express ourselves. And then the next week after that interview, the National Academy of Recording Artists took away their Grammy that they won. Oh, no. Oh. I, I guess I, I was always curious on if they did sing, mm-hmm. you know. But I bet, like, when, when it comes to singing English, I think that... It makes It sense. makes sense. Like, I just... It's confusing why they didn't go German or French route, you know? <laughs> Those are two languages that they were fluent in, but yeah. I don't Especially know. Especially if they're producers in Frankfurt. It's like, why don't you just keep... You I know? know. I think maybe just because hip-hop in this time, R&B was really on the rise. Like, the moneymaker yeah. was... The United States, yeah. I mean, and that showed by album sales, I feel like. Um, Oh, yeah. So after this, lawsuits started rolling in. There was people being like, I bought this album and I was falsely told that blah, 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 blah. According to the New York Times, an estimated 10 million buyers were eligible to claim a refund. And they could keep the refunded recordings. But obviously the deadline, 1992. So whoever claimed it through those days... uh, Congrats on getting that little piece of history. And if that wasn't enough, adding to this whole entire thing, um, 
David Clayton Thomas, who was a singer-songwriter in the 90s, also sued Millie Vanilli for copyright infringement, um, saying that the melody for his song Spinning Wheel was used for Blood, Sweat, and Tears, one of the al- one of the songs on the album, All or Nothing. That didn't let them stop them. So obviously, they didn't continue as Millie Vanilli, but then changed their name as the real Millie Vanilli. So this was, this was supposed to be them coming back and being like, yes, we can actually sing, we can actually write. Right. And then they came out with an album called The Moment of Truth, and it spawned three singles, and then it had a few scrapped songs from the other album. And then in 1992, uh, RCA signed on to release the album, and then three additional tracks. It's called Ding Dong and Do What You Love, which I thought was pretty funny. But both of these albums, unfortunately, failed to release more than a few thousand. Oh, rough, man. They continued to make a comeback throughout the 90s, I believe their last attempt was 1998. Rob Politis really kind of took on this pressure of like wanting to be famous so bad and like wanting and just like kind of this trial and error. And he ended up turning to like drugs and crime. And he ended up committing a series of assault and robberies. And this is this is quoted by a book from the ex-member of Millie Vanilli. And he was sentenced to three months in jail and six months in rehab. And then Politis was found dead of a suspected alcohol and prescription drug overdose in a hotel room in Frankfurt, Germany. His death was ruled accidental. Yeah. That's, that's heartbreaking, especially because they had it. They like tasted it. It was right there. I know they had a, yeah, they were like on the top and it was from no fault. It really doesn't seem like too much fault of their own. You know, they were young kids. They were promised this life of success and then they put the decisions into the hands of a man who made poor decisions in their name. Mm-hmm. And then they yeah. took the fall for it. And then after Rob Politis' death, Fab Morvan tried to continue on with a solo career. Uh, he ended up being a session musician as well as a public speaker. In 1998, he ended up being a DJ for a radio station, which was really great, and then ended up performing at a sold-out Wango Tango Festival in 1999. Um, Yeah, and then afterwards, he kind of just kind of lived as like a as a performer of different aspects he actually announced that him and one of the actual Millie Vanilli singers were gonna come out with an album called Face Meets Voice which I thought was I love that that's some good marketing right there (laughs) yes definitely so that's kind of that's kind of the story of uh, Millie Vanilli a lot more than I thought I really honestly thought that they were very pro um, using other people's voices. Yeah, you know? I didn't know that they were performers in their own right first. Yeah. They were f- mm-hmm. That's how they were found. And then they yes. were like, ooh, for your American audience, we're going to have to spruce this up a little bit. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, wow. I agree. And that's heartbreaking about Rob. It sounds like, you know, again, you were just this kid that was like given mm-hmm. this promise and then you broke it and then he was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> right. And that's unfair. Did they perform on SNL? I remember them performing on SNL, but I'm not okay. sure. I didn't know if that, for some reason, I guess, like, I really put that on, like... They performed in, in Living Color. Oh, in Living Color. Okay. Yeah. 
that makes sense. I was sense. like, I feel like I remember the story of them on a show. But yeah, so that's that that's was exciting. interesting. That was so mm-hmm. interesting. I did not know thank a lot you. of that. So. But yeah, I believe that wraps up this episode. Um, thank you all for listening. Do you have any closing thoughts? Oh. What did we learn today? Uh, don't punch people. Just be yourself, <laughs> and don't punch people. That's really what I took from today. If you would like to support our pod, you could just follow us on our social media on Instagram. We are Yesterday's News Pod, and then on um, Twitter we are Yesterday's underscore Pod. Uh, so please follow us there. Yeah. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Yeah. And we will see you on the next one. Bye. Goodbye. 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 Our theme song is T-Shirt Silly Bus by Captive Portal off their EP, Something About That. Interested in working with us? Email us at yesterdaysnewspod at gmail.com for opportunities. Thanks.